I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Annie Gudger, author of The Fifth Chamber. I got it. Annie Gudger uttered these words when she had to do all the hard things by herself. After her husband, the love of her life, died in an accident when she was six months pregnant with their first child. Now she must navigate the trials of a single motherhood, mourning and learning to love again. Fascinated with the heart and its fifth chamber that holds more love, that holds shadows, she poetically chronicles her passage through grief and the beauty she found on the other side. Crafted with lightning bolts of joy and sorrow, she brings us a tender and lyrical memoir about the dance of loss and life and how grief can make the heart beat stronger than ever before. She's an autobiographical essayist who writes hard and loves harder. Uh, Annie's been published in Real Simple, Cut Bank, Cut Throat, The Los Angeles Review, The Normal School, The Rumpus, and The Columbia Journal. Welcome to the show, Annie. Nice to have you on. Thank you, Catherine. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are going to be talking about a topic that, as you know, most people, many people and in our culture do not want to talk about, and uh, that is loss and grief. And as I said in the beginning, I mean, losing your husband when you are six months pregnant for most people is unimaginable. And uh, that kind of grief and that kind of loss is can be devastating. So let's start with that and um, your your ability to be able to navigate that grief and loss and how you did it. Well, it was really hard. I mean, I always say like grief, the grief that takes you to your knees is really hard to navigate. And, and I did it a moment at a time. I did it with a lot of love from my beautiful family and my dear friends who leaned into me. Um, when my son was born three months later, he was really my motivation, right? Because I looked at this tiny, little, beautiful, perfect human who came to me and he'd already had a loss. I didn't want him to also lose his mom. So that was really the... And it still took, a, still took time and a lot of work, but that was the start of me deciding, you know, hard things happen and they can either grind us down or they can help us grow. One of the things they talk about, grief. Grief is really just another name for love. It's the other side of love. You're, you're grieving when you're grieving. You're, if you've loved then and you lose that person, uh, then... The, the grief represents the love that you had for that person, that it's it's all about grief and love. They're on opposite sides of the coin, I guess uh, you would say, one would say. Um, but I think one of the things that happens in our culture is that people don't want you to grieve. They want to just get, want you to just get over yeah. it, uh, not deal with it. Uh, and sometimes, and a little bit, let's talk about that because, uh, and I think maybe particularly with men, it's shameful if you're, grieving and 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 um, we encourage people to just kind of get on with your life. So how was that for you? I I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Like culturally, we're so squeamish about grief. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to look about it, look at it. We're hoping that the person who's grieving is just going to get better. Right. People would ask me all the time, like, are you better? And I knew that that they were loving me, but they meant like they just, it was too much for them to witness me. Um, and we, there is that tendency, like, just 
get on with things, get back to work. Um, I was teaching when my husband died, and I actually went back to the classroom two weeks later, which I don't advise. Um, but, like, I didn't know what to do. And within my family, that was my dad's advice. Like, everybody was like, you know, it gives you something to do. And the truth is, as a griever, what you need to do is grieve and have the space to experience your grief rather than just shut it away. And for that whole thing of it being shameful, I do think that that's an aspect of it. So that's where I'm all for, like, find people, find your tribe, find your people. Like, join a support group where other people are grieving or they might have an experience very different from you. But there are things, while every grief is different, there are aspects of grief that we have in common. And when we share those stories, we can feel more connected and feel less alone. When you say every grief is different, what do you mean? Um, well, what I mean is like, my, I, I'm always like, my grief is my grief and your grief is your grief. And while there may be common factors, grief, how we experience grief has so much to do with who we are as a person, how we express ourselves in the world, what the relationship is to the person or the, or the experience that we lost, that we're grieving. Um, I so agree when you said that to me, grief is love, and it's the other side of love. And if we've, if we've loved something and lost it, we're going to have grief around it. And I never want to assume that I understand your grief because I, I only understand mine, right? So that's why I always tell people, don't, don't layer your grief onto someone else's grief. If you're going to be supportive of someone grieving, just be with them. Be with them. Don't, don't compare your grief because nobody, nobody wants to compare who's the worst. Right, they're all hard. Yeah, the circumstances are different, uh, as as you're saying. So it's different for everyone, uh, even though there are a lots of common, I, I guess, common emotions and feelings and behaviors that one one has experienced grief, loss. Um, I once uh, had a this is a friend of mine, an oncologist who. And I don't think he's the only one who ever said this, but life is a series of losses and it's how we respond to them, right? Throughout our whole life, from the moment we're born, we're, we, and out of the womb, we've lost that secure environment and it goes on and on, right? It's, it's always a series of, of, of losses. Yeah. But one of the things I, I, I'm sort of, the, maybe the ta- one of the takeaways from your book is that, you know, we have to normalize grief. We haven't done that yet. I mean, you know, you've touched on it, getting connected, being with people who you can feel comfortable with and, and express your grief and not having other people uh, trying to minimize your pain, which I think is kind of, unfortunately, a very common thing for people to do. Like, go back to school. You need something to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. I mean, that. when you did that, after, when did you just, okay, two weeks, I'm teaching, or I, I, this is not what I want to be doing? Or when did you realize I've got to do something differently? I have to connect in a different way. Well, I mean, when I went back to teach, I was, I was in shock, right? So I managed, I taught at a community college, so it's just on the um, quarter system. So I, I taught for a quarter and I, my sister and I would laugh about it because she stayed with me a lot. To, she was super helpful. Um, and I said all the time, like, I'm a terrible teacher. I should not be doing this. I used to be a good teacher, right? and I always had this strong, I never did it, I'll start by saying that, but I would have this strong desire to be at the front of the room with my students and tell them, go do something that you love, whatever it is, do something amazing today, don't spend your day with me, because you never know when it's your last day, right, so 
do you want to be here? And my sister would say, like, please don't tell us that. <laughs> and I, I, but there was just strong, and I never did, right? She's like, what if they're getting at the start of their education? I'm like, okay. But I had this, from the beginning, I had this strong compulsion, like, um, none of us ever knows when it's our last day, right? And um, I hope that when it's my last day, I've done something simple and beautiful. Um, so I'm always encouraging people. Not, it's just weird, like, you can't... It's like this razor's edge of having this understanding and acceptance that life is short, but it's also wide because we can't constantly, I can't constantly live in the state of this could be my last moment. That's too hard. Yet I do have an awareness more so than a lot of people that everything can change in a heartbeat, in a phone call. Yeah, that was my next question. Like the unpredictability of life. Is that scary once you've gone through this? Here you are, you're pregnant. I'm assuming you're happy. You're in love with your husband. And the next moment he's gone. And like having that experience, does that follow you for a a while? Are you able to adapt, I guess, to that kind of emotion? Like once you've gone through that, you realize things can change in a heartbeat and you could lose everything or and and not. Yeah. Yeah. It would that that could be yeah no it definitely go ahead no go ahead it's definitely yeah. um it de- yeah it is I mean it's it definitely followed me I mean for quite a while after Kent died I was just so afraid that everybody was going to die because I knew it could happen right and um I it was really hard for me like saying um I was so I was so worried my parents would die my sisters would die my friends would die um. And it became, so I had to choose, like it can be really crippling or for me, like I started being just very aware that I always, I always say goodbye to people. I always tell people I love them. Like if I, whenever I step out of this life, the people who know me, they're going to know that I love them. I don't let those opportunities go by. So that was like when I got, when it wasn't so traumatizing for me. That was my takeaway, like, just be present. Just let people know that you love them and, and always say goodbye. Don't, you know, don't walk back in the house without waving because you just never know. I can get into the OCD of that, <laughs> just was your, uh, <laughs> which isn't true. a good thing either. <laughs> Did I say I loved you? I've got to go back, you know, I'm back in the house or call you up or whatever it is or text you. Uh, <laughs> that's a little over no, the top. No, that's true too. So like what I, so it's learning, right? It's like, because um, it, it is true, because I was obsessive about it for a while. And then I'm like, <laughs> my kids will tell you, yes, they know that, they know that I love them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, mom, you've said it. We get it, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but gr- okay, so grief, and and the other thing that I grief is not, as I'm hearing you, it, it's not linear. It's not like something happens and then you adjust and then you're always going forward and it, it gets more and more positive and you're able to able to work things out, right? It, it's a. It sounds like it's much more of a back and forth. You go ahead, you go back. You have uh, times when it's not working. I'm assuming it's it it's it's it works out slowly. It's a progression, but it a zigzag progression, I guess. It is. I mean, it is so not linear, right? I always say it's super messy. You can have moments where you're. I remember the I remember the first time in um, group therapy. I was in a group with young widows, which was a beautiful support for me. Uh, we were all under forty with children, um, which is pretty rare, 
And I remember looking at my, looking at my therapist and saying, today I actually feel okay. I'm like, that's really weird, right? And she said, it's been normal to not feel okay, and now it's okay to feel normal. And I was like, wow, that was, that was huge for me because it, it doesn't progress that, you know, that traditional stages of grief, they just, they don't hold true. It's not true for people grieving. We don't move from step one to step two. We go forward and backward and we get knocked down and we get back up. And it's why I like to say for me, grief is before and after. So all the chapters in my book are titled either before or after because that, that was my experience. What about feeling guilty? I mean, your husband died. He didn't see the baby. He, you know, all of the things that he's not able to do, obviously. Um, how, you know, in terms of feeling guilty about you're alive, you're here, and he's not. Yeah, I definitely experienced survivor guilt. Um, the night, so uh, the night that Kent went to go skiing, I was going to go with him because I was, I was a really good skier, and doctor proved I could still ski but I stayed home because I had this huge stack of papers to correct. Um, and I'll always be grateful that I stayed home because had I gone with him, I would have died too. And our son would not have been born alive. Right. So that was, that's huge grace to me that I stayed. And I definitely felt guilty that I was here and he wasn't and all the things that he missed. And in the, for quite a while, um, part of my like daily routine and then I did it journaling but I was constantly telling him everything that was happening like he could experience it through me um, and I did that for a while and then in time like that slowed down where I wasn't um, where I could still incorporate him into our life but I wasn't constantly telling him everything during the day um, to keep him with me because because I couldn't do that right I also chose to be here and be and be with the living and I would assume you also have new experiences that he that you never experienced with him. I mean, but you talk about before and after. I mean, in, in the very beginning, your life has been with him, and then it takes time to acquire new experiences that he never had, that you don't associate with him. Yeah. Yes. Well, especially he never got to be a dad, right? Jake was our first, and I had a lot of sadness around that for a long time. Um, and even over all these years, there are times that it that it can pop up for me, right? So so I write about it. That's that's been my that's been my way of processing it. I mean, even when Jake got married five years ago, I was so surprised by this grief that came up for me around Kent not being there. Because here's my beautiful husband Scott, who I've been married to for all these years, and who really is dad to Jake, and we are this is our family, right? But we've also always kept Kent. In our family, I've referred to him as the silent third parent. And, you know, here was this huge day in my son's life, and that first dad wasn't with him. And that was hard. Um, but then we had him there in the best ways that we could have him, right? Like Jake carried um, Kent's wedding ring that I'd given him, which was such a beautiful thing. And Scott, can we talk about Scott? Because you talk about him, he is the love of your life. And how that was when you first met him and wanted to be with him. And that would seem to me that would be another kind of uh, letting go of uh, Kent. And, you know, that must have been a lot of emotions surrounding that and, and 
here I'm using the word guilt again, not necessarily guilty, but, um, <laughs> or maybe it is guilty. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's talk about the, your relationship with your husband now. Um, well, I'd say when we met more than guilt, I felt disloyal. I felt disloyal. Like I had been married to Kent. So I'd planned to be married to him for a long time. Right. And, and then he died. And, um, when I first met Scott, um, he's just, my husband is this amazing human. And when I met him, he was so careful and tender. And we were like, maybe we'll just be friends. Like, let's just get to know each other. Cause I wasn't really sure. I wasn't sure. Right. I'd been so committed to staying married to Kent. Um, it took me time to, to realize I could, that I could have another beautiful love in my life. Um, but it definitely, and, Every, every widow in that group I was in, we all said the same thing. Like, we, it's this weird, you want to move forward and you want to somehow bring your husband who's no longer here along with you, but you can't bring him on all of it because you're also moving forward. And then you have this new person in your life who you love um, and there's also all this fear that they're going to die too because you know, I knew it happens, right? So that that took me a while in the beginning to just like trust that hopefully we would have more time. And we have, we've been married 34 years now. Well, congratulations. That's a lot of time. That's great. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that's more time than most people have together. uh, I know. You know, uh, yeah, definitely. Right. This is, uh, no, that's a good thing. But what's the difference between, because I'm thinking about the women in your group, and and you, is there a difference between grieving and suffering? Are they the same thing? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's a lot of suffering and grieving. Um, there's a lot of, especially early on, there's a lot of feeling like, why me? Why now? I mean, I know I felt very singled out. I didn't, before I met those women, I didn't know anybody else who was young and widowed. Um, and there was, there was a lot of suffering. Um, I, I do think that suffering is part of grief, but not all of it. I mean, it can be all of it, right? So here's, here's always my thing. Like we don't, we don't need to stay stuck in grief and some people choose to, and I chose not to, but the suffering was definitely a significant component. And I can't tell you for how long, cause I don't really remember, but I know in the beginning, um, I felt very, I just felt really singled out, like this horrible thing could only happen to me. And that was part of the beauty of being in the group, because then I could see, oh, I wasn't singled out. And these women have had a similar experience, and they all had been widowed longer than me when I joined the group. So I really did look to them, like, okay, this is hope. I'm starting to see the hope. I'm starting to see that I can heal my heart, and I I can be in love with myself again, and I can be in love with life again, and it's going to take time, but I'm going to do it. Did you ever look at some of the women um, who were able to do what you're talking about and then others who you could see were not choosing, uh, not able to let go and to become hopeful and that maybe that's not the way you wanted to be, that you were surrounded, I assume, with women who were choosing to do different things in terms of going ahead or maybe not being able to go ahead? Yeah, I feel really grateful and lucky that the group of women I was with, that we were all in a similar 
in a similar kind of path, right, where we were very honest about how hard our grief was and about how much we wish we didn't have to do it. I would never wish this on anyone. I mean, I've said that grieving has made me way more human, and man, I wish there had been another way to get here, right? Yeah. Like, this was hard. Um, but they were all they were all similar. There was nobody, I think it was part of why we were drawn together, right? You know, that, that synergy of like people finding like people, um, that we all, that we all wanted to grow and move forward and, and not forget, always remember, but carry that, those memories with us forward in a beautiful way, not in a crippling way. Uh, it, was it different for women? Cause you were just pregnant. You were pregnant. You didn't have children yet. Uh, for women in the group, let's say, who had young children. So they're coping with their own grief and then their children's grief. And that adds a whole other family dynamic, I would imagine. Yeah, I, it was very different for them than for me. And again, I was like, I joked that I was like the little sister in the group looking to the big sisters and like, what's it going to be like? Because here Jake didn't have his own grief yet. And the other women in the circle, definitely their children were having their own grief and they were doing their best to, you know, to experience their grief themselves, to feel their way through it, and also support their children. So it was a, I listened like crazy to them, right? And, and I would ask all the time, like, when do you think this is going to be true for Jake? Um, and the way he has experienced his grief over his dad is really different from how those other children, now adults, experienced theirs because he never met his dad. When you say it's different, how, how is it different? Like, how is it different for Jake? Like you said, he really has never met his dad. He's met his dad through you and I assume through other family members. Um, and that's obviously very different than having actually met him or been with him. It, it is. It's a different kind of grief, right? It's like the grief of what could have been instead of what he actually had. I'd say, where for the other, the other women's children in the group, like they also lost their dad who, who they'd had on a regular basis. That person was no longer walking in the door. That person was no longer sharing a snack with them, telling a joke, all the things. So that was a different experience where for Jake, um, I, always kept the, I always kept the door super open. I never wanted our experience to be a secret or a surprise or any of that. So we always talked really openly about it, but you have to imagine it's more in like theoretical because she didn't meet Kent. And at, at one point when Jake was about, I think about 15 when he was a teenager, you know, and being a teenager and going through the things teens go through, I was really concerned that um, maybe it was time if he was ready to go talk to about his grief with a therapist and I'd ask him, like, is this part of what's going on with some of your behavior? And he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, Mom, but Dad is my dad. He's the only dad I know, right? And so I was both really touched by that because Scott is a fabulous dad, but it also made me sad because he, he has this other dad too. Um, and it's different for him now as a grown-up. He's definitely had more grief about it. We've talked about it plenty He's talked with other people about it. Um, he, I, just, I have to say this. He's becoming a father today. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, it is. And so I, yeah. I thank you. We're just so, so, 
so excited and so grateful and, um, you know, that's going to be a whole nother experience for him, for him now get to be, to be a dad, um, and have all that joy and all that beauty. And there's also this, this underlying, I think he's going to have a stronger sense of what his dad missed out on. That's a, that's a, a, a perfect, I guess, a, a sentiment, uh, to end the interview. We only have one minute left, but oh, that's so exciting. Really. Congratulations again. Um, the fifth <laughs> chamber, you. Annie, Gutcher, that's who I've been talking to. And you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere, I assume, and any other website. I know you, you you have a podcast, too, that we can listen to. So why don't you mention that? I do. I have a podcast called Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. My website is anngutcher.com. We also, my daughter and I started a Facebook group called Coffee and Grief Community. You can go look at that, too. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Really great to have you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> 